Micah chapter 2, verse 1, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it's in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks. And you shall not walk haughtily, for it it will be a time of disaster. In that day they will take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate, he allots our fields. Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to bless the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of your word, that none of us would leave this place this morning as we came. We'd be changed. Bring conviction where conviction is needed. Bring faith to the faithless. Bring more faith to those of us who are among the faithful. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, every once in a while it's good for us to ask ourselves as the church, that's the people to whom Micah's writing here. Did you notice that? It's clear if you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, but it's also clear as we're reading this and you come to the end, therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. This is, this is an address. This is a woe against the assembly of the Lord, against the church. Judgment begins first with the church, the apostle said. And this is an example of it right here, uh, coming from Micah the prophet. But it's good for us as the church, as individuals in the church, as the church corporate, to ask ourselves from time to time, do we really believe what God says about, and then just Fill in the blank. Do we really believe that? You're reading along in your Bible, in your daily reading. And you say, well, do I really believe that? Do I believe God is that? You name it. Gracious? Some of you have a hard time believing God's gracious. If God knew how bad I am, if God knew what a sinner I am, Oh, he knows better than you do. He knows better than I do how how sinful my heart is, how wicked my heart is. So, yeah, he, he really does. But people struggle sometimes with, is God really that gracious? Would he really forgive me for, for this, for that? I mean, I've even heard people say, if God really knew as if God doesn't know everything. 
God does know everything. It backs up to do we believe God has spoken? And then it backs up beyond that to do we believe God even really exists? That's where we began two weeks ago, right? Whatever happened to God? We looked at that Nietzsche quote in its in its in a fuller context and we saw what Nietzsche was saying and wasn't saying when he said God is dead. He wasn't saying there is no God, that he doesn't exist. He was saying that you we we as a as a as a politic have treated God like he's dead, like he doesn't exist. In other words, we live as practical atheists. Something arises in life, the first thing we do is call a friend instead of pray. We grab a bottle of pills before we pray. And on on and on it goes. We act like practical atheists. We don't believe in God. Or maybe we say, no, you know what? There's, I believe this. But then we decide to do it our way. Sometime, sometime back, I was having a conversation with someone, and the topic turned to the Lord's Day. And we were just talking about the Lord's Day and, and how we honor the Lord's Day and what God expects of us on the Lord's Day. And, and he said, oh, well, I, I believe the Lord has given us a Sabbath, the Lord's Day, but it's up to each individual as to determine how you use it. I said, well, that sounds more like a man's day to me than a Lord's Day. But see, the thing was, he didn't think, he thought the Bible said, you know, keep the Sabbath. But he didn't think the Bible then gave us any instruction on what that meant. And so we were all on our own. People treat church governance that way. You will read in church history of people who've actually said, well, I think God certainly gave us the church. It's the bride of Christ. It's the household of faith. But, you know, it, 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 it's up to us to know how to, it's to be governed. As if God didn't say how he wanted it to be done. I mean, the, even worse than that, that God didn't say, God didn't care enough to tell his church how they could be taken care of on this earth. But God did care, and he did give instructions. So we don't, we don't think God has spoken sufficiently and clearly. But ultimately, it's, has God really even spoken? That's where we are. So the question arises again, whatever happened to God when it comes to all these things? Whatever happened to God when it came to sin? That's what this passage is about. We have a people who are naming the name of God. They're declaring that they are the covenanted people with the great Jehovah, the triune God of heaven and earth, and yet 
they're living with no regard for what God has said. This is the third oracle in Micah. There are two that appear in the first chapter, and they're in general terms, where God comes down on his people. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that's in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. There's the, there's the judicial woe. God is speaking against Behold, the Lord's coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Now, chapter 2, he gets more specific. Back in chapter 1, it's rather general. They've carved images. They've worshipped other gods by doing so. They've not obeyed God in a word. Now we've got woe. To those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. God starts naming the sins now. We make God in our image sometimes, don't we? Just nod. Yep, we sure do. That's just, we are, as Calvin said, our hearts are idle factories. I-D-O-L, not I-D-L-E. We're idol factories. We produce idols, and they almost always look like us. And that's why they disappoint us. We say things like, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to go to that because... I don't really care for so-and-so. I don't want to be there with so-and-so. Now, don't act like you don't. Everyone does that sometime. You want to go someplace and enjoy, and you know if you go with certain people, they'll talk through the whole thing. My children are sort of kind of like that about me in movies. You know, I... I'm the guy that talks. That's the reason I love the Oak Ridge Cinema, big wide spaces between the seating and, you know, down below. And you can kind of have your own little conversation down there and not bother anybody. Nobody's going to throw popcorn at you. And I make fun of the actors. I see family members smiling largely. They know it's true. And so some people we don't want to go to a concert with, we don't want to go to a movie with, and, and we'll just say, you know, I, I just, I, I just, I just rather not. But when God has a problem, he doesn't just, I'd rather not. He just, he tells us what it is. He's honest. And so he tells them what it is. Woe to those who devise wickedness. And the wickedness, is it starts with thinking about it, and then it goes to the evil deeds. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil. So devising the wickedness, thinking it out, thinking it through, and then they go and do it. And it all began on their bed last night. 
Now, I'm not going to ask how many of you, you've had a bad day at work, school, whatever. And you go to bed, and you may have even read your Bibles, you may have even said a prayer, and you're lying there and you're thinking, I know what I'm going to say to him tomorrow. And you think of the most curt, cutting words that you could possibly put together in the two or three sentences you're going to be able to get in before he or she leaves. Now, don't tell me I'm the only one in this room that has had that pass through my mind while I'm lying there thinking, you know, this is, this is what I should have said today. And if I get a chance tomorrow, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to say it. It needs to be said. This ought to be said. We devise. And then we do. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it's in the power of their hand. Now, apparently, these are, these are some pretty wealthy people. These are some, if not wealthy, they're powerful people, politically perhaps, within the social sphere. And we see what's going on here. They have the power to do it, and so they covet fields and they seize them. They covet houses and they take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. They execute these wicked schemes. Some translations, uh, instead of covet, which is, is more to the literal side of the word in the Hebrew, say rob or defraud. It's all of that. They covet, they rob, they defraud people of what they have. And they do it through illegal land deals. They do it through lies. But God says that we're not supposed to covet. And these people knew that. These are not pagans. I mean, they're acting like pagans. But they're not pagans. These are people of the covenant. This is why Micah and the prophets are so... They work on our souls. They work on our hearts. Because it's about us. You say, but the prophets are saying some hard things to the people they're talking to. Yeah. And they're talking to God's people. And here again, Micah's talking to God's people, talking to us to examine our hearts. You say, well, I don't covet other people's. I, don't, I haven't seized any homes. I haven't moved any property boundary lines. To my knowledge, I haven't oppressed anyone. I pretty much leave people alone. Well, let me ask you this. Do you endeavor by all just and lawful means to procure, preserve, and further the wealth and outward estate of others just as you do for yourself? 
You say, well, you just read that from somebody. Yeah, I read it from the larger catechism. Because the larger catechism says concerning stealing and coveting that to not steal doesn't simply mean don't take that pencil that doesn't belong to you. It means do what you can to help more pencils exist on that desk. In other words, how do I contribute to somebody else's well-being? Not just how do I not take away from their well-being, but how do I increase their well-being? That's how we're supposed to live as Christians. That's what God expected of his people of old and people now. So when we do not steal, do not covet, the positive of that is do increase, do do give more, do help other people have what they need. Instead, these people are abusing their power and taking what's not theirs and leaving people in ruin. They oppress man in his house and man in his inheritance. Then, in verse three and verses three and four, he pronounces the sentence on these these rascals. Therefore, thus says the Lord. The therefore is therefore, right? The woe has been pronounced. Therefore, here's the sentence. Behold, children, you know what that means. Sit up, pay attention. I need your attention, your eyes, your ears. Behold, against this family, I'm devising disaster. God's devising disaster? You devise disaster against those people, he's saying. You deserve what I'm about to give you. Behold, against this family, I'm devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks. You shall not walk. They, they could get out of it. These people that are being mistreated, they might be able to weasel out. They might be able to sneak out before bad things happen. They might be able to sell to, for a higher price. You're not going to be able to get out that easily. You're not going to come out of this alive, folks. God says, and you shall not walk haughtily. That's the issue. This is a pride issue. See, when we tear others down, when we, we take from others what's not ours, it's our pride in action. He says, you shall not walk haughtily anymore, for it will be a time of disaster. In that day they shall take up a taunt song. They, who's they? The people that they were devising against. It's going to get flipped. Some of you have lived long enough to, to see this very thing happen in relationships <clears throat> but it, whether it happens in personal relationships on this earth or not doesn't matter it will certainly happen in regard to God when we the church don't obey him 
All he expects of his regenerate, saved people is to obey me. Trust and obey. For there's no other way. That's all he asks. And then we say we trust and then we act. We are like people who've landed in prison for stealing millions and billions of dollars. It's not good company to keep, folks. And so we have to examine ourselves. What has happened to me? Why am I living like a practical atheist? And then some of you are completely nonplussed by this. You're not scared of God. Let's go back two weeks. The fear of the Lord. We've lost the fear of the Lord. Last week, we, we don't see God as being holy, holy, holy. There is no creator-creature distinction in our minds anymore. We're haughty. We're prideful. And so, the idea of God dealing with me the way I really deserve it. No, it's But you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think. God's going to do what he's going to do. You can deny God, Romans 1. You can suppress the truth that there is a God and that he's going to act righteously and holy. And he will still act righteous and holy. There's many a building that used to be occupied by people professing Christ that are empty are now housing some other establishment because God said, you shall not walk haughtily for it will be a time of disaster. And he's taken their lampstand away just as he says he will in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. You say, man, this is a hard sermon, Pastor. Yeah, I know. Whatever happened to, to God? Do we live like there is a God? Do we live like there's a God who deals with sin? If we fear the Lord, two weeks ago, and if we keep our eyes fixed on the holy, holy, holy God, then this won't happen. We won't live like these people, and we won't receive the judgment of God. So they're, they're told that they're going, to be, they're going to be put out. And that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and, and say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate, he allots our fields. Just talking about the exile that's going to come. And other surrounding nations came in and took over their fields. So the sentence, the sentence is one of exile. The sentence is one of, of, of woe against them. And as Bruce Walkey, one of the commentators on this book, puts it, the same Lord still divides up the nations according to his own good pleasure and justice. He's still doing this. It's easy for us sometimes, isn't it? 
we read the Bible and, oh, whew, glad I don't live then. But this is now. We can still sin. Don't we believe this? We can still sin. And God will still deal with us. Verse 5 concludes this expression of woe. Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot. In other words, there be, be no one to speak the truth. This is talking about the plumb line. You know, the standard. How do you know it's straight? How do you know what the... The, the, how do you know where the corner is? How do you know there'll be none? He's going to take away the truth. And by the way, remember those 400 years of silence between the, the minor prophets and the coming of Christ and the writing of the Gospels? That's just what happened. It was as if God, now the word that God had given his people prior to that was still there. It was as though God went quiet on them because of their sin. Here's the conclusion. We have forgotten that God is a righteous being who will not tolerate sin. Yes, he will pardon and forgive but he does not forget he cannot forget for he's perfectly righteous now some of you are thinking yeah but somewhere the bible says he forgets our sin and casts them as far as the east is from the west that's an anthropomorphism because God is all knowing he can never forget but the encouragement in that is that he does forgive. He does pardon. But that requires, on our part, repentance. That's the reason we, we pray the confession of sin every week, is to repent. Fresh and new. It's one of the contributions of the Reformation, right? Is that repentance is not penance. It's not a one-time thing done Deal. And certainly not something you can buy. It's a gift from God. Acts 5 and Acts 11 tells us that. And we have to constantly be examining our hearts and repenting. What does repentance entail? It means first realizing that you've sinned against God. Second, Hating that you sinned against God. And third, turning from your sin to righteousness. So whatever happened to God? Well, we don't take sin seriously. And so we have to turn back to God, the God who deals with sins perfectly and justly and completely and ask forgiveness. And then just like that adulterous woman in John chapter 8, 
verses 1 and following, we are to go and sin no more. I'm, I'm, I have to say this. Because I'm telling you, right now, somebody's thinking, well, we're not as bad as that church up the road. Yes, we are. We're just as haughty. And our sins are just as offensive to God as whatever they're doing or not doing. But we get into this comparative analysis thing with sin, and then all of a sudden we feel better about ourselves instead of having dealt with our sin. I know I'm guilty of that. Some of you are thinking, well, you shouldn't be our pastor. Well, that may be true too, but we're all guilty of this because we're haughty. We're prideful. And if we admit our sin, then we have to change. I'm a historian. I don't like change. I, I, I can I can I, I can hardly stand to throw away a piece of paper that's got my scribble on it from something I found somewhere, or some historical something I photocopied. I don't like change. I don't know what I'm going to do when I have to clean out all those drawers back there and at home. I guess I'll just leave it for my children. Let them enjoy it. But we need to change. We have to change every day. That's what repentance is. Repent or perish under the righteous hand of an all-righteous God. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word and pray even now this simple prayer that you would cause us to to repent rather than perish. We might see you as the beautiful one you are and turn to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.